Good morning. How are you guys doing? That looks pretty good right now, doesn't it? Yes. Been a while. Two announcements. Um, number one, we have the permit. Now we have the survey. Now we're waiting on engineering drawings to start down there. So just checking them off, you know. It's going to be like a very long DMV appointment. So just get ready, all right? So if you've built something, you know it. So that's where we're at. Uh, second announcement is Wednesdays, for the next three, four Wednesdays, 6.45 a.m. to 7.30 sharp, we're going to be looking at, you can, there's lots of names for it, but it's the spirit realm according to Scripture. People call it demonology, spiritual warfare. I just think there is a category that the Bible looks at a lot, and we kind of ignore because we're modern and, you know, that's the way old people thought, but things have not changed. So if you're interested in that, 6.45 a.m., um, we'll talk for 45 minutes. I'll try to, it'll be smaller. That's why I chose 6.45. So no problem if you can't make it. I get it, but there's not notes. We're not doing it any other way. It's not being recorded. There's too many ways to interpret it wrong, so that's why it needs to be dialogue so you can ask questions. So if you can make it, great. If you can't, we'll do it some other time that you'll be able to make it. So if you're interested, it starts this Wednesday, probably three or four Wednesdays, and we'll try to get a category in our head for the spirit realm, which still exists to this day, all right? Jesus, thank you that when we became your disciples, when we confessed with our mouths that you are the Lord Jesus Christ, that we became spiritual people, that the scriptures say the natural, the unspiritual person cannot understand these things because they don't have the right equipment. They don't have that capacity, but you've given it to us. May we be a group of people that are tuned in to these things. I pray even today, Lord, as we walk through scriptures, talk about things, that are spiritually discerned, would you give us the ability to listen well, to hear from you, to be moved and remodeled in areas that we need to be moved and remodeled theologically, compassion, empathy, whatever it is, Lord, that we'd be moved by you. So be here, work, work clay, you're the potter, and we ask this in your name, amen. Amen. We're starting a new series today. It's obviously based on the Bible, uh, but we're using the Bible for a goal. And this goal is huge. It's so big, it's actually coded into the Constitution of the United States of America. But even more than that, it's woven into the DNA of every single person's soul. It's what you and I want 100% of the time. Men, it is not that. What is it? It's to be happy. When there are surveys done, it doesn't matter what nation they're done in, United States, Greece, Argentina, Brazil, Iran, doesn't matter where they're done, China, doesn't matter. 
the top of people's lists is always, we wanna be happy. It's what we most want in life. But there's a problem, isn't there? It's called adulthood. Adults have these hangups when it comes to happiness that kids do not. Like, who is happier than my nine-year-old son, Myron? I don't know anyone that's happier than him. But Myron must look at me and just think, my dad's got to be the happiest man ever. He's got so much money. Bennies are falling out of his pocket. Like, wow, he can eat whatever he wants whenever he wants. He goes to bed whenever he wants. No one tells him to go to bed. He just falls asleep on the couch all the time, right? No one tells him to turn off the TV or get off that device. He's got to be happy. He gets to drive, right? And from Myron's perspective, I've got it all. But am I happier than him? So research has found this. Children smile or laugh 400 times per day. Adults smile or laugh 14 times a day. That's the average. Some don't smile or laugh at all, right? That's crazy when you think about it. How many hours are your children awake? Way too many, Matt. I wish they would go to bed. <laughs> go to bed, <laughs> right? Let's say 14 hours, all right? Divide that by 400. That means they are smiling or laughing, laughing 28 times per hour. That's almost every other minute they are smiling or laughing. That's crazy. How about us? Adults require a time called happy hour, right? Kids, you're like, hey, okay, kids, happy hour. Be happy for an hour. They'll stop it, right? Like there's just insanity with us, right? And it gets worse with Christians. Here's what I mean. I did an unofficial poll a while back for a month. I just asked everybody I talked to, I said, does God want us happy? Simple question, right? Does God want us happy? No, Matt. Happiness is based on what's happening. God wants us to be full of joy. Now, I didn't think about it at the time, but I should have immediately followed that up with, so if you are full of joy, you're not happy, you're like, oh, I'm full of joy, but I hate life. What? Right? Like we have these crazy lines. And the other one was like, God doesn't want us happy. He wants us to be holy. Okay. Or... This one, God doesn't care about happiness. He just cares about your character, all right? And I've said that one myself, all right? I've had to reevaluate it. So we have like an extra layer of this kind of like, hmm. So let me ask you, raise your hand. Do you think God wants you happy? Okay, that's better. You guys are smart. <laughs> like culture has no problem telling us how to be happy, right? It's every ad you see. Like there's a new genre, it's called TikTok trinkets. And people become instant millionaires if they get an influencer to use their trinket. This will make you happy if you just had pink slime or whatever it is, right? Like it's just amazing. Culture has no problem telling you and me how to be happy. But are we happy? Well, Matt, I still don't think God wants us happy. I have a theological hangup on that. I think you're wrong. Okay, let's look at that. Have you heard the term blessed? Hashtag blessed, right? Blessed. What is blessed? What's well, this Greek word? And it's the Greek word, makarios. And makarios, the best translation of makarios is guess what? Happy. So if we can just get back out of our culture for a second, and you look at Young's literal translation, 
It's the opposite of the Message Bible. The Message Bible is like, hey, this is fun. Let's, have, let's laugh. Let's have a great time. The Young's Little's translation is wooden and stiff. He takes a Greek word and finds an English word. He takes a Hebrew word and finds an English, or a English word, right? It's just wooden. It was translated in 1898. So our culture wasn't affecting it, right? Our, yeah, everything's great culture. Everyone's happy. Emmett didn't affect us, right? So if you look at that, Macarios has found 50 times the New Testament, 42 times Young's literal translation, 1868 translates it, happy. No hang up on just saying happy, right? So what happened to us? Something changed, something changed. So if you're not sure about Young's little translation, let me give you some other guys. Guy named John MacArthur Jr., heard of him? Very serious Bible guy. I have listened to sermons. I've read his commentaries. I have never once heard him crack a joke. He just doesn't do that. That's not his style. He is a serious Bible teacher. He says this, Macareos means happy, okay? John Piper, serious Bible guy. These are not guys up there that are doing part comedian, part you know, Bible teaching. These guys are serious Bible guys. John Piper, Macareos means Happy. And this is a quote from John Piper. And he says this, is there a difference between joy and happiness? Scrap those distinctions. The Bible is indiscriminate in its use of joy and happiness. John Piper, right? Warren Wearsby, giant of the previous generation. He was the leader of Moody Bible Institute. Macareos means happy. Listen, I can go on and on and on and on and on. Why then is it translated blessed now? Because we love our Christianese. We do. And I think here's what happened. So Jesus gives a message. It's the first publicly recorded sermon by Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. The first word Jesus uses in the first message that's ever recorded of Jesus, guess what the first word is? Macarios. And then he repeats it again eight more times. So there's no way Jesus, God in the flesh, the very first thing he would say to humanity is, hey, here is a recipe of how to be happy, would he? He's too serious for that. We better change that to blessed. How about the longest book in the Bible called Psalms. Guess what the first word of the longest book of the Bible is? Blessed, the Hebrew equivalent of Macarios. Now, Psalms could not be a manual about how to handle anxiety and stress and people coming against you and betrayal and all those things that Psalms handles. It couldn't possibly be a manual of how to handle those things in a way that brings about happiness. No, so we better put in there blessed instead, right? So it's crazy to me. Even the Bible I use, it's ESV, translates Macarios as blessed, not happy. But even with that, listen to me. The other words, joy, happy, enjoyment, merriment, pleasure, delight, cheer, laugh, and smile appear 1,700 times. That's almost one time for every chapter of the Bible, even with it translated blessed. Because I'm here to tell you, God wants you to be happy. We want it, God wants it, 
do we have it? Well, two weeks ago when I was outlining this, I happened to read this article. It's called A Crisis of Well-Being Among Young Adults and the Decline of Religiosity. And the article is talking about this thing that's been known for a long time, that the happiness in people, it follows a U-shaped curve. So here's a picture of the U-shaped curve. Like you're really happy when you're little, but then you kind of go through this dip. And I love it because I'm 50 right now, which I'm pretty happy right now. And just means this, it just gets better and better, man. This is brilliant, right? And then when you get 100, man, you're as happy as ever. In a second child that you're babbling and giggling and got it depends on and it's awesome. Like, yeah, right? So that's where we're all headed, praise the Lord. <laughs> so this is the normal. This has been known. This is just what the way people have been for, for time immemorial. But listen to this quote from this article. And you can look it up if you want. For decades, well-being, it's just another term for happiness, well-being across adulthood has followed what social scientists call a U-shaped pattern. We just looked at that. Higher well-being in young adulthood, a dip during midlife, and increased well-being in older age. But earlier this year, the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University released troubling findings showing that there has been a complete flattening out of the left side of this U-curve. The well-being of young adults has dramatically declined compared to older age groups. If you read that article, and I recommend it, it says we're facing a tsunami of mental health problems in the next generations because something has fractured this shape this curve that's gone back as long as we can look. Something's fractured it and broken it. And what's so fascinating about this article is they say it's the decline of religiosity. And with it, you know, they're, they're Harvard. So it's more like, you know, all the things that came with church, the, the getting together and the friendships and the community and the camaraderie, all that stuff, they don't ever say God, but that's what it is that Gen Z and below now, those generations are the least churched groups in the history of America. And we're going to face, we're gonna reap a whirlwind from that. So what do we do? Simple, don't worry, be happy. I'm dead serious. <laughs> we have a book called Philippians. And this book of Philippians that we're going to read and study and memorize and absolutely meditate on, this book, Philippians, I call it the happiest book on earth because it is. It's just full of it. And here's the best part about Philippians. Have you heard of this term? It's hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is the miracle of bones and muscles, that when bones and muscles are hurt or damaged, then they grow back Stronger, right? Like that's an awesome thing. Your car gets damaged. It doesn't grow back better. It always has a salvage title. No one really wants it as much, right? That's everything else. But bones and muscles do the opposite. That when they get damaged, here's what happens. There's a little, you know, I had a little cartoon of it. The cells, when they're damaged, when they're broke, when they're busted up, they actually get bigger and stronger. It's through exercise and breaking down over and over that you end up with guns like these, right? That's what you get, hypertrophy. 
That's the joy of Philippians. It's happiness in the face of difficulty. Happiness in the face of the valley of the shadow of death. Happiness in the face of loss. Happiness in the face of despair. Happiness in the face of inflation and society crumbling. It's happiness in the face of that. It's brilliant. So what we're gonna do over the next couple of months is real simple. We are going to look and see if the Christmas promise of Luke 2.14, where the angels declare, I'm bringing you good news of great joy. Greek is mega joy. I'm bringing you good news of mega joy. Is that true? And I think Philippians becomes the guide that shows us that's true. So we're just gonna explore the book of Philippians with the singular goal of, if God wants us happy and we want to be happy, how are we going to be happy in the face of all the difficulty that we are looking at? And we're gonna to begin today at the center. Because if you don't get this, everything else is a concentric circle outside of this. If you don't get this, nothing else makes sense. You'll always be a border person. You'll never get to the center of what it means to be happy. So we're gonna look at the origins of the church that the book of Philippians was written to. So if you have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to Philippians, to, excuse me, Acts chapter 16, where we look at the founding of this church that the happiest book on earth is written to because they are a church that's happy. So check this out. Chapter 16, verse 13, book of Acts. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, we remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed us upon us. Convert number one to the church at Philippi is this lady named Lydia from a different city called Thyatira. And she's a seller of purple goods, the most exclusive garments you could buy. So if we could grab Lydia and try to bring her into the 21st century, here's who she is. She is the CEO and founder of a very successful clothing company that sells exclusive clothing to like movie stars and celebrities. She's big. She has her own magazine called Elle. She has a daytime talk show where she talks about being a successful CEO. She's that kind of leader. And she's done it 
2,000 years ago. Like she is off, she is the 0.00001% of women in her day, extremely powerful, very successful. Homes in multiple cities, Thyra Tyre, she's got a home. Summer home in Philippi, homes all over the place. She is successful and yet she's still searching, right? She's down at a river with a group of people praying because even though she's checked every box on what should make you and me satisfied according to what the world says, culture says. She's checked every box in her soul. She's dissatisfied. Why is that? Animals don't have this. Do you know that? Have you heard the saying, as happy as a clam? I don't know how they studied that. Like, how do you tell if a clam's happy? But we have it. What does a clam do all the time? filter shark muck, and they're happy. None of us would be happy doing that. Why is that? Because you and I face something that animals do not. We are created in the image of God, and we have a capacity that's beyond imagination. The Bible puts it like this. God has put eternity in humans' hearts. How big is eternity? Super big. We know this. We know we have this gigantic capacity. We know what we could be, but then we look at our lives and guess what we see? Less. We see less. It's like this. A couple of years ago, I went to Israel with my wife and we'd go to these ruins and you go to this ruin and there'd be this artist rendition of what the city looked like, whatever, 3,000 years ago. It is beautiful and it's awesome. And there's like people and it's happy. And it's like, and then you look up and you just see rubble, rocks and stones. And you're like, Oh, that's a bummer. Don't we all do that to our own lives? We see our capital A artist rendition of what we could have been, what we should have been. I could have been a contender, right? Or Uncle Rico, I could have. They would just put me in. And all we see is rubble and we feel it. No matter how high you get, doesn't matter how successful you become, you always feel this like, oh, I could have been better. And then some friends invite Lydia to a Bible study. Maybe it's Beth Moore. Maybe it's Priscilla Schreier. And she goes there and she hears the explicit gospel. Paul comes, shares with her the good news of Jesus Christ. Her heart is open to it. She believes and she gets saved. And she gets saved how? By a sermon. Because she's an intellectual because she's a thinker, because she's a business person. So God meets her right in her mind, right in her intellect, okay? You need a sermon? You need to understand this? You need to have your doubts taken away? Okay, I will meet you in a sermon. And she gets saved and she becomes the very first convert to this church that's the happiest church in the Bible. Lydia, number two convert, check this out. And... As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much game by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's called false advertisement. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul having become greatly annoyed. I love that. 
He's like, are you kidding? He wakes up in the morning, she's there, screaming at him. He's like, okay. All day she's screaming at him. Finally one day he's like, okay, that's it. Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. By the way, I think that's how it's supposed to happen. You have all these crazy ways of casting demons out where there's foaming and craziness and rolling around and cussing and hours and hours and hours. I don't see that with Paul. I don't see that with Jesus. And a new power has arrived and it's no contest. That's what it is, okay? So here's convert number two, a slave girl, demon-possessed. Let's try to bring her from first century AD, 21st century. Here's who this girl is. Grew up in a home, drugs, alcohol, problems. She gets taken out of that home by the foster care system, starts to bounce from foster care home to foster care home to foster care home. Finally, she's 14 and nobody really wants teens. So she gets put in this foster care home that just takes teens. So there's like 18 of them in this one house. And there's those things that exist, just warehousing them. And there's some really bad teens in there and the parents aren't much better. So she decides at 14, I'm running away. I'm not staying in this place. So she tries to make it on the streets. Does okay for a while, but eventually drugs and bad evil men end up getting a hold of her. And she's used and abused and now she's owned by one that just pimps her out and makes money off her over and over and over again. And that's this young lady, just hard, difficult life. Right? She is as different from Lydia as you can get economically different, raised different. Racially, she's a Greek, Lydia is not. Right? She didn't grow up in Camelot, she grew, grew up in Calcutta, right? as different as pos- possible. But here's what is interesting to me, she is spiritual. Right? She has some kind of power that these guys are tapped into, which is amazing to me because in my job, I get to talk to all kinds. And what I found is the people like this girl who've seen the dark side of the world are much more sensitive to spiritual things. Like they've seen it, they've experienced it. Their radar is up. They have a capacity that's much larger for spiritual things. And that's the way this girl is. And she is not saved by a sermon, is she? She couldn't be. She'd be too distracted. She's screaming all the time. She's not gonna come here and sit and listen to me, right? She couldn't make it five minutes in here. She'd be uncomfortable. She'd be like, I can't. And there are people that come in here. They leave right away because they can't do it. They need some other mechanism by which they can get the gospel. That the systems that have routed them, the demonic power that's overpowered them has to be dealt with first. And so Paul turns around and he deals with that demonic power and sets her free from it. And because he does this, he'll get the snot kicked out of him. Sometimes when you go against powers, look out. But for Paul, it's worth it. And we'll see that. So she gets saved. How? By Paul, verse 18, talking to this power and saying, get out. And it gets out. And then she is free then to understand and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. She's saved when evil, evil is finally dealt, crushed, 
by the good news of Jesus Christ. And some people need that. And there are times that I talk to people that say, man, my life is so, so bad, it was so hard, all these things, and, and I wish I was a Lydia. I say, number one, never discount the power of your testimony because I talk to people all the time that are like you and they need to hear and have hope that their lives can be changed because evil always wants to tell you there's no hope for you, that you'll never be accepted, that you'll never make it out of this, that you'll always be this way and they need to hear your testimony. And number two, never discount the difficulty rich people go through. Never discount it. Just Google Club of 27, which is the famous celebrities, popular people that at age 27 ended their life. It's massively long. They got everything they thought they could want. They're the CEOs. They're the Lydia's of the world. And they got everything they wanted, but they're not happy as a clam. They suck the marrow out of life and they're done with it. And they say, well, if this is all there is, I'm out. So never discount the difficulty of other people. You just don't know, right? So convert number two. How crazy is that, right? So different. Convert number three, check this out. Keep reading, it gets even better. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, just anti-Semitic. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, they put them into the inner he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Convert number three, Roman soldier who had his retirement to be keeper of the prison in Philippi. Taking him from the first century, bringing him up to the 21st century, he is a retired ex-Marine drill sergeant. Right, he's got high and tight haircut, boots are shined, always wears a belt, every shirt is tucked in. His kids look just like him, high and tight, even his daughter. Boots shine like the sun. They say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you wanna set your sons or daughters up with them because they're good kids, right? He's a good man, salt of the earth, worked hard, paid his dude, loves his country, served it well. And now he is going to be the best jailer that Philippi has ever seen. 
And for a man like this, he has no use for Christianity. What? Are you kidding me? Just do what's right. Just do what's right. Like I've done my whole life. Just do what's right. Be faithful. Do what you're supposed to do. That's what you do. Do what's right for your country. Do what's right for your kids. Do what's right for your city. Be a good citizen. And he has killed it. He's done it well. But there's a hint in him that he's bitter. Because he is told, hey, put these guys in jail. What does he do? He puts them in the innermost jail, which if you know jails back then, they were actually underneath a house. So the innermost jail would be the lowest jail cell. Well, back in the first century, there weren't flushing toilets. So guess what happened in the lowest part of the dungeon? It was your septic system. He puts them in the septic system. And he doesn't just put them there, guess what he does? He puts their feet in stocks. And this was a way of torturing somebody. There was multiple holes in these stocks. You'd put one leg in one, and then you would stretch the other leg as far as you possibly could and lock it in the other one. It was a way to make you so that when you, you couldn't stand up when you're done. They would have to drag you out. You'd be so stiff and sore, right? Maybe he's an anti-Semitic. Maybe he's bitter and angry. I don't know what his deal is, but he begins to display it right here. He doesn't have to do that to these two men. Chooses to do it. Yeah, I'll show them. Right? And they start singing and praising. And I think everything changes. And notice, Paul can't go to him. Paul doesn't cry out to him. This man has to come to Paul. Because people that want nothing to do with Christianity, you know what? I just say, well, okay. I can't force you to be thirsty. Something has to happen to those kind of people that actually crumbles what their life was built on. An event has to happen that's bigger than them, that blows all their categories, and it's only then that they're ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. This is a man of duty. This is a man who prided himself on doing his job well. Guess what was all in peril right here? Dude, you lost all the prisoners? You're not the best jailer ever. You didn't do your duty. You weren't faithful. You failed. Rather than face that public humiliation, what is this guy gonna do? He's gonna kill himself. You will know your God when you lose it and there's no reason to live anymore. You will know your God with, that when you lose it, you don't have any, any other reason to live. Your kids go south, your marriage goes south, your business goes south, whatever it is, and you go, I don't have a reason to live anymore. His duty went south, he goes, I don't have a reason to live anymore. But then he faced two people, Paul and Silas, that responded to him in a way he had never seen before. What? You did my job for me after I tortured you and stuck you in the septic system? What is the deal? He was broken. And for the first time in his life, his heart was open to the possibility that he too needed salvation. And he bows the knee and breaks his pride and gets saved right here. He is the third convert to this church. And some people, because of life, because of a lack of appetite, that they want nothing to do with Jesus. And there has to be people like Paul and Silas's that respond to the world so differently that they're like, wait, what? Hey, hold on a second. Why'd you do that? Why are you that way? Why do you give? Why do you go to Sunday? What? Right? How shall all men know you are my disciples by your loved one? You don't do life like me. What's your deal? There's gotta be people like that. Paul and Silas's, that then when life that they built is quaked and broken, they see 
and their heart is open to the gospel. This is the foundation of the happiest church in the Bible. Notice something. Where would these three people ever get together and participate in life together? Someone in first service said, at the DMV. I went, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you would see them there. Yeah, totally. Right? Maybe growers market, maybe first Friday, but they would hate each other. I can't believe they're there, right? Like this isn't, not even at Walmart would these three people get together, right? Because the CEO is like, I don't shop at Walmart. I eat organic. I go to Gooseberries and Trader Joe's. And the Marine's like, China junk. I go to Bymart and OCS and Rollies. That's where I buy my stuff, made in America. And the goth girl's like, hmm, they won't accept my pet rat, so I don't go in there either. They never get along only, only in this thing called the church. Do people, and this is what Acts is saying, do people that cross every social, economic, racial backgrounds get together. It's only here. Acts is the story of the inbreaking of the kingdom. It's a, it's a prescription for you and me how church is supposed to be and how church is supposed to look. That's what it is, that when Jesus becomes king, race and economics and class and all those things that all kneel before the cross and every single one of us gets saved the same way. And the byproduct of it is happiness. Happiness. In a crazy city called Philippi or in a crazy city Grants Pass, the happiness is the byproduct. That the good news rumbles through like an 18-wheeler and everyone that gets on board, man, it is joy. Anyone Anywhere is what Acts is telling us, especially chapter 16. And this is the center. This is the center. So let me ask you, have you had an encounter with Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus? These, each of these people could tell you, oh, I met Jesus, I can tell you the day. It was down by a riverside when I was just despairing of life. I got everything I wanted, it wasn't enough. And I met Jesus. Oh yeah, I met Jesus. I was in a really, really, really bad spot and, and I just started screaming at this guy just over and over, day after day after day, just screaming at him. And then one day he turned around and just cast this demon out of me. And I met Jesus. Oh yeah, I met Jesus. I misused these two prisoners and abused them in ways I shouldn't have. And they responded to me in such kindness and compassion. It broke me, it crippled me. And I met Jesus. Have you encountered Jesus? Have the, has the evil in all of us been cast out? Have the idols that we've set up as, this is what my God is, have they all come crashing down? Has your pride been humbled where you kneel at the cross and say, I need a savior. It's not enough to be a good man. Because without that, there will no, be no lasting happiness. Or you can rent it for a while, no doubt. It almost always requires some other catalyst, right? Whether it be a drug or, or drinking or a party or the big game. But then after that, you sit at home going, that was it? That was it? Because Jesus is the author of joy. Jesus is the author of happiness. He's the source. Your cup will never run over without Jesus. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? If you have not, that's the center. You'll just rent it for a little while, if not. If you're saying, I don't know, Matt, after this service, There'll be people up here that will be standing up here and what they'd love to do is show you how simple it is. Romans 10, 9, that we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouth that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what we do. It's so simple. Have you done that? Have you believed? That's step one. And if you're saved in here, here's what I would say. This next week, seven days in a row, read the book of joy, the book of happiness, the book of gladness. Read Philippians. It takes you 15 minutes. So either you can get Geico insurance or you can get God's joy and happiness. Your choice. I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. It's that simple, okay? This is a brilliant book. We're gonna explore it and discover, man, God knows how to make his people happy.